Hello and welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery Alice. Today we have Joe. Uh, I was actually introduced to Joe by another guest, Amber Argyle, and well, I think Joe is fantastic. And I know I say that about all my guests, but I mean it because they're all just amazing and I have just met the most fantastic people doing this show. Um, Joe was a convert to the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, when I believe it was 19 years old. Uh, She had a very good friend. They'd started dating and she was just impressed with his value system and with the value system of his family. And she converted. They had kids. She was happy for a while. And eventually she started seeing the problems in it. She started seeing toxicity, uh, particularly around the treatment of women uh, within the patriarchal system. She started questioning whether the youth programs were a safe place for her kids At which point she started questioning, well, if it's not a safe place for my kids, is it a safe place for anyone? This is really a story of claiming her voice again, claiming her power again, you know, just it's, it's inspiring is, is what it is because it's something that we all can look to and we can all relate to. And it's just, she has these wonderful, beautiful things that she says where you're like, okay, well, if you can do it, I can do it right? Like if you are strong enough to do this, then I'm strong enough to do this too. So I hope you all enjoy. I know you'll find value here. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, Joe. How are you today? I'm so good. Thank you. We finally got together. I'm so excited. It's been a ride. <laughs> I know. I was telling, uh, it has been a ride. Like we, is this the third or fourth attempt at this? I think this is the fourth. The fourth attempt. I think the, I think the first one had to be pushed off for like mild reasons. And the other two were like bizarro farm emergency things. Yeah. And I was telling Joe weird. as before we started recording that like this has been a universal truth with like at least 70% of my guests where it's just the weirdest things keep interrupting. We have to reschedule. And I if if I was still religious, I'd be like, there's something funky going on here. Uh, <laughs> okay. So Joe was actually introduced to me by Amber Argyle, who her uh, podcast released a little bit ago. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely check it out. Um, and I'm so glad that Amber introduced us because I have just so enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you. And I'm super thrilled to hear all the things you're going to say today. Um, so Joe is a author and an editor who plays with horses in the dirt in her spare time, because why would you not do that? That's my daughter's favorite thing in the whole world is playing with horses in dirt. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. My (laughs) fingernails are literally never, ever, ever clean. And it's not like you have to look at them while typing all day, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I 
love it. Oh, the type. I know. My nails can't ever, like, mine, they're so short and stubby and they never look nice because I can't handle them touching the keys. I can't handle. Mm-mm. Oh, my God. No. No, I can't handle it either. The texture would yes. make, makes me crazy. They have to stay short. Yes. Like, it. the mm-hmm. first time it hits, I'm like, okay, okay. We got it. We got it. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay. Awesome. So we are going to just, we're going to jump right in with how you joined the church because you actually were not born into Mormonism. Right. So tell us your story of like how you converted, what made you convert, what drew you to the church, all of all the fun things. Okay. So I was raised with a dad who is atheist and a mother who grew up um, going to Methodist and Presbyterian kind of on and off. And so we didn't really like I went to a church for a wedding or a funeral and I think maybe like two Easter's when I was growing up. So it was not a part of my family's culture really at all. And um, I started dating this cute boy. Of course. And of (laughs) course, after dating a lot and really sweet and kind, after dating a lot of not so sweet and kind guys, as we often do. And um, he and I became good friends. So my husband, he's my husband now. Um, I... Uh, we met in seventh grade band. We dated for a short while in 10th grade and we broke up and then we got back together after we graduated from high school. And I think one of the things that I realized is one of the reasons that he was so sweet and he was so kind and he was so considerate of, you know, my boundaries and, and things is because of his religious upbringing. Right. And so for me, after dating some guys who were not so nice about you know, the kindness and consideration and boundaries. Dating somebody who was, was a whole new experience. And I I realized that this spiritual side of him was a side that I really appreciated and really enjoyed. Um, long story short, a couple years later, he asked me to marry him. And I realized like, this is, it's, you know, he would, he would not mind skipping church to go play with me on the weekends and things like that. He did not serve an LDS mission. Um, but when I realized, hey, if we're going to get married, we're going to have kids together. This is a big part of his background. So I need to learn more about it. I was halfway through college, so two years through my undergrad degree. Um, and I remember the missionaries came knocking and I was living with my then fiance and our other good friend. Um, and it's like three's company on the opposite, just, you know, (laughs) one girl, two guys, right. It was very much a bachelor pad with a girl attached. Um, (laughs) but it was fine. It was fun. Um, dudes are very chill to live with. So that was good. And I remember the missionaries came knocking one day and my fiance at the time was like, I don't think, you know, we're good. And I was like, well, I'm a little curious because like we plan on getting married sometime in the next year. And I think the thing that really, that really turned me toward joining the church was them saying, here's the information, you read it, decide what you like and what, you know, like, and pray about it. And then it's all, it's on you, right? It's your choice. It's your whatever. Right. The undertone was if you don't choose this, then you're not doing it right. Or, or you're not opening your heart up for God to speak to you. Right. So that was kind of the undertone. 
did but you weren't aware of the undertone at the time or were you no i don't know i know that like i i tend to be a very skeptical person and i think you know you get more and more distance from it right and with mm-hmm. that distance comes so much more clarity yeah and i think one of the things that i realized later is that there were so many things that i wasn't sure about but i just i trusted that idea of if you keep praying about it and you keep studying at some point it will all click and you'll know it's true and so i think there were a lot of things that i just kept waiting for that to happen and the longer i was in the church and the longer some of those things didn't click into place for me at first of course you question am i being faithful enough am i doing enough is it because i didn't pay my full tithe this last year that i don't know that these things are true is it because I'm not as diligent as I should be in my study. Is that why these things haven't clicked and feel true for me? And so it was this big struggle of what am I doing wrong that I am not getting the answer that I was promised that I would get, not just by the missionaries before I was baptized, but in really all the lessons that I was given in church after I was baptized. So you never had that like... I don't think I, I don't think I understood this when we first talked, you didn't have that whole, like I prayed and I knew it was true moment. Like you just kept putting foot after foot, like to just like, it's going to happen at some point. For the most part. Yeah. I think the one thing that I really connected with and that I still believe in some form or another, although I I don't think you need to do certain steps to gain that is that idea, because I grew up around a lot of evangelical Christians, small town Alaska, a lot of evangelical Christians who were like, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. And after this life, you're just going to love everybody equally. And I hated both of those ideas. And when I started studying LDS church, I realized like, you're just because you're not baptized doesn't mean you're going to hell. And your family and your connections here on earth, you get to keep. And those were two things that I have always really believed. So Mm. when those two things that felt integrally important to me were presented as part of this particular faith, I was like, oh, okay, that I get, like that I can get behind. And so then I was, I think a lot of it was that I was really hopeful that all the other pieces would also fall into place Mm. and that I would gain a better or greater understanding because I've never, I've never liked, you know, you study church history and it is downright horrifying. And when you really look at women's rights within the church, it is also downright horrifying. And I, I kept waiting to gain that same understanding or that same connection of belief that I had with the connections I make during this life are going to come with me in some form or another whether I've reincarnated, whether I continue on or whatever, I just always felt like it is ridiculous for us to make these connections and then to think that they just fade away to nothing. Mm -hmm. Like that's a horrible thought for me. And so that was something that I really, really wanted to hold on to and to cling to. So I think that some of the other issues are places where I had issue or where I had concerns or where, you know, I, I didn't feel that connection in some of those teachings I just was thinking, I'm not doing it right. I just need to work harder. Mm -hmm. Which is, of course, what we're taught. 
I mean, like it's not even an undercurrent with that. Like there's so much no. stuff that's undercurrent, but that is very like preached from the pulpit in classrooms mm-hmm. of like you yeah. just do more, like, just pray right. more and read scriptures more. And the assumption mm-hmm. is made across the board. Like if you do not have a strong testimony, you are doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. And that is right. such a hard place to stand. And I did stand there and I, it's, it's painful because it's so much shame, which turns into, yeah, self-loathing and st- doubt and which then is harder to look um, objectively at all these problems that you've already started to mention with the church history and women's rights and, mm-hmm. and all of these things. Okay. So when you, sorry. <clears throat> so when you joined the church, was it, it was before you got married? Just before. Yeah. So I joined the church in May. We got married in August. Okay. So no temple wedding originally. Did you guys go through later? We went through in June. So we, we talked and this was like in the nineties and I don't even know if it was like proper etiquette in the nineties to do it this way. Excuse me. Um, but I, I remember going to my Bishop and saying, if I hadn't gotten married, I'd be able to go to the temple a year for my baptism date. I did happen to get married. So why would I not be able to go to the temple a year for my baptism date? And then at that point I can, my husband and I can go together. And so we did, um, yeah, in June the following year. So we so, haven't been married quite a year. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm surprised. Cause yeah, that's not like usually that was not allowed <laughs> practice then at yeah. all. Yeah. So if you don't want to talk about it, that's totally fine. People within um, ex-Mormon communities are varying degrees of comfortable about how much they're willing to talk about around their temple experience. Mm -hmm. Did that make it better or worse for you as far as your questions were concerned? Because for non-Mormons, the temple stuff is very ritualistic in a way Mm -hmm. that we are not used to in this society so it was very jarring for me so with you being so new to the church like yeah did that help or hurt or like just neutral I loved having a moment with just the women and I remember thinking I wish this happened more and I at the same time it all I have a very hard time I am very ADHD I have a very hard time sitting in the moment Mm -hmm. so like I don't, you know, when big things like that happen in my life, I kind of tuck them away. Like Mm. it's too big. It's too big to just really sit in the middle of that moment. I remember feeling a slight sense of relief because I felt like, oh, good. Now we're together forever. Now we have that connection. And, you know, that gave me this sense of peace. And then, but it also came with, Okay, but what about all the people who don't get married in the temple? Do you right. think that they're not worthy of this level of peace with their partner? Right. Like, so, you know, I think every step comes with that, but wait right. moment. Well, that's so interesting. I love that you just brought that up because part of what attracts you to the church is what you didn't like about mm-hmm. the evangelical surrounding you, which is if you're not one of us, you're going to hell. And now right. you join this church because it didn't have it, but then you go through the temple and it's like, but if you're not here, not one of us, you, you yes. don't get this. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that until you just said that. So like, did that yeah. click back then? Were you like, 
Wait a second. That did not click back then. It took a little bit. Okay. No, it that took a little bit longer because I was so focused on um I am a chronic people pleaser as well. So I was like so focused on I'm going to be a great wife. We're going to have this great marriage. We're going to do all the good things, right? Wow. And and so it was just a it was it was a step forward, right? We we've taken that other step forward. So that's great. Now the next step is getting college out of the way and the next step is having a family and you know yeah it was one of the steps so what did your family think about this with their like so not religious like were they cool with you becoming mormon or well, were they I'm, super concerned <laughs> they were really chill I, I my dad i'm sure just kind of like rolled his eyes and you know now that my husband and i can both sit down and have a drink with my dad i think he's like a little more relaxed but i remember my mom saying that she goes, you are a really hard person to talk into doing anything you don't want to do. So, you know, we're okay with it. Like, it's fine. I love that they had that much faith in you and your, that they trusted you in that way. That's, I literally have the best parents in the universe. And the older I get, the more amazing they are. I mean, we're all human. We're all imperfect. We all have our faults, but Really, the older I get, the more I'm like, my parents are literally the coolest. That is amazing. It's awesome. That is amazing. It's, I feel very, very fortunate. Okay, so I have to ask a question that I might regret the minute it comes out of my mouth. So if anyone Awesome. Grows, I'm already excited. I know. If anyone listening is like, oh, Devry, like, listen, I know. I knew it was a risk. I knew it was a risk. Uh, <laughs> I find myself, because I have so much... Mm, trauma and pain and, you know, patterning within my personality and my behavior that came from being raised Mormon. I will admit, I feel a bit of jealousy sometimes when I talk to people who were not related, raised with religious belief systems in place. Right. Um, so with you having had that and then purposefully moving into this religious center that really silenced you in a lot of ways. And we're going to get to that. Um, Do you have like regrets around leaving that non-religious side? Or do you feel like you needed parts and pieces of this journey in order to balance things better? Does that make sense? Did I get out what I'm trying to say? That makes perfect sense. Okay, good. (laughs) I I say both. I say both. Honestly, there's a part of me that wishes... I would have never joined. I would have just kept going. And there's another part of me that recognizes that that's just, that was just my journey for whatever reason. That was just my journey. And I have to, I have to go like, Hey, past Joe did the best she could with the information she had. Right. And that was the best she could do with the information that she had. And throughout my life, I've tried to make decisions that I felt were right even though I think my decision-making ability was greatly hindered by some teachings, Um, you know, that stopping, not trusting yourself. But again, I still did the best I could with the information that I had. Yes. Right. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you said that. I'm so glad that was like the most perfect answer because really what you, what, what you've done is you figured out a way. And I mean, it's the quote unquote, correct way, the best way, whatever of (laughs) removing the shame from the situation. Of not yeah, because like, you could swim in that. For yes, a long time. and I think yeah. it's so perfect. And I was talking to someone about this literally just yesterday. Of 
like looking and acknowledging either like your feelings or also your faults or like whatever. Right. But being able to say, well, of course I felt like that. Like, my God, like look at where I was and what I knew. Mm -hmm. What other choice did I have? There was not one. Just because I can see a different avenue now does not mean that there was a different avenue then. Then. Yes. You couldn't see the road at all then. Exactly. So to be able to just accept it as like, I was doing the best that I could. That is, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it's freeing and I, I love it. It was perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're going along. Um, you're trying to do the best you can. You're starting to really get all of these teachings that are saying like, hey, you're not doing it right. <laughs> like, yeah. Because <laughs> like, you're not, you're not as solid in your faith as these other people. So like, there's something right. kind of wrong with what's happening here. Um when I, I know there was a point where let's see you started I can't remember what came first was the first um crack when you started doing book research for cults or had it started well that was then? that was that was the first big crack okay but I I'm just real I'm so I'm remembering something as we were talking yeah yeah asking me about going to the temple and the the year that we went they were um, celebrating the pioneers going across the plains that year. And the St. George Temple was open all night on Friday night. And I was a college student. And those poor old people that work the temple, man, were just sleeping through <laughs> the sessions, right? Because it's like midnight. But as college students, we finish our last class on Friday. We go for a hike. We get a Sonic burger and we go to the temple. And I remember thinking, if we just go to the temple all the time, I will start to really feel it and know it and understand it and believe it. Right. So we went that first year all the time. And then we took like a two year hiatus after that of not going. Wow. And it's interesting because at the time I've just, all I felt was guilt for not going more, but also I felt a guilt for having a little bit of relief that we weren't taking these like, I've got an hour drive there. I've got an hour drive back. I've got the two to three hours in the temple, you know, by the time you change clothes into your yes. white temple clothes and everything. It was a lot. And it's it's another one of those things that I look back on. And I was like, I was really trying hard, man. Yes. I was like, I want to know why I have to cover my face. So I'm going to keep going until I understand why I have to cover my face during a prayer. Yeah. And so again, I never for... gained that understanding. Well, yes, I... <laughs> So because <laughs> obviously non-Mormons <laughs> listening, there is a part in the temple where, yeah, there's a, a prayer circle and you have to, the women have to literally veil their, their face. faces. And it's funny. I was having, I remember having a hard time with a lot of things and just feeling like this, like what the hell is happening kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when, with that, the veiling of the faces, that hit me every time. Whole, yes. Like I every stopped Every time I was asked to veil my face, I was like, yeah. 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 Like I, it just, it was just a moment every time I was like, I hope they change this some point. And I was thinking they're going to change it because this is not right. Yeah. And of course that did not, to my knowledge, well, they, yeah. they've done a lot of changes recently, which is, they have done changes, but yeah, that was another crack point for me is the changes. Was the, oh yeah. We'll get to that. Yes, we will. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny, as I look back, and again, it's that hindsight of like, wow. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. the few times I would do it, because I, I did, because you can, you don't have to participate in that particular circle. Like, you can choose to go right. up or stay in your seat. And the first few times that I did it, like, I remember 
my arms felt so heavy. It was like my body was resisting the action yeah. of bailing. And then I yeah. would have a full anxiety attack it like throughout that prayer. And I remember just being like, be done, be done, be done, be done. Oh my God, please. Like, I have to go back to my seat. I cannot breathe. I can't breathe. Like I wow. would have just panic attacks beneath that veil every time. And so, yeah, I just refused to participate after that because I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't take it. But now I really am like, my like s- soul was rebelling. Like it was like, this yeah. is not okay. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to be here. Yes. You don't have to be here. And like this action is, uh, yes. Yes. So, okay. First crack. Totally, totally get that. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Before we move on really quick, cause I'm very curious and I've almost asked like three times. So your okay. husband was like Mormon and like yeah. had a lot of the qualities, but you guys were living in a bachelor pad. So he clearly was not uh-huh. a like yeah. rigid Orthodox Mormon. How right. did he feel about you going like all in? Like you pulled him back into Mormonism in a way that I he had not been him, living. I think he really appreciated it because there's that pressure, right? To live and be and do a certain way. And I made that easy for him suddenly. So there was this relief of pressure from there. And then, you know, at different times, I think, you know, you do, you check like every box for a couple years and then you're like, we just need you know, then like tithing would go out the window for a little while or, you know, when medical bills got high, because that's mm-hmm. always been a thing for our family. And then, um, you know, vacations and part of you is like, oh, it's Sunday and I don't have to get dressed up. You know? <laughs> and then the other part of you're you on is vacation. like, you shouldn't feel like that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, then you go to church so. after you've had your vacation Sunday and then someone stands up for testimony meeting and is like, we love that we can go to church on vacation because the church is everywhere. Yeah. And we always pack church clothes. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank <laughs> know, you for sharing it that. It never failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly what you're yep, talking about. You're like, or I just don't bring my church clothes on vacation and it's fine. Um, and it's fine. <laughs> except for the overwhelming sense of guilt right? and shame that I cannot escape from. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So you're going along, you're trying to be the best Mormon you can be, uh, and just really feeling like something's wrong with you, that you don't mm-hmm. know, know that all of this stuff is true. And then in your uh, authoring life, all of a sudden you started doing book research on cults for a story uh-huh. and had your first big like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was really interesting. I had this idea for a book. And I was really excited about it. And I wrote just a terrible, messy first draft, just really, really fast. This is what I do. And then I sit back because this is like, it's different, uh, you know, depending on what I want to do with the book when I finish with it. But this one, I was like, I want, I want a big publisher. I want to go big. So I'm going to do a super messy draft. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to do all the research and then I'm going to really flesh it out and make it awesome. And I mean, of course I had, I'd had little stumbling blocks along the way when our kids were little and my husband got to stand there and give him a baby blessing and I was stuck in a pew, you know, and I remember thinking this blows. 
And, you know, when our kids were baptized and I was like, why can I, I'm the mom. How am I not having a bigger part? It's like, you're right. too precious. You just sit there and look pretty and watch these things happen. Right. Well, and did, I always hated that. Is that, did your, I'm trying to remember. I think you were telling me that your mom was at, at the, one of the baptisms or, yeah. and was like, don't you get to go up? And you had to be like, no, no, <laughs> like, I, I just, did. Oh. Yeah. And that was a moment. That was a moment where I was like, my mom is thinking, who is this kid? I'm sure yeah. it was so self-sufficient. I mean, I had my driver's license as soon as I turned 16. I was like, so, and I drove by myself before then a lot. Cause you know, small town, Alaska, like I was so independent, I was so independent in so many things. And so I remember thinking my mom is probably like, what is going on? And part of me was like, what is going on yes. <laughs> with you? Yeah, yeah, that you would that you would just sit here rather than be part of this thing that's so that you feel like is so important. How is the mom not involved? So, yeah. Okay. So anyway, so I'm researching cults. <laughs> Years later, my kids are about to go into like you know my oldest is about to go into like young men's young women's programs and stuff, and um, I'm researching cults. And the more I research, the more I'm like, huh, we have that. <laughs> And then something else. I'm like, yeah, we have that too. And it was bizarre. And I, I watched a special, I don't even remember what it was on, but it, it looked at several different, um, people who would, who would come out of several different cults, you know, um, one's based on like fitness and money and FLDS. So the fundamentalist mm -hmm. LDS polygamous community, a lady who, and who is still very much part of that community came on and spoke and, um, and just one after another after another. And I found it fascinating. And then suddenly, like, I couldn't get enough. I just wanted to learn and hear more. But the things that really hit me is this idea of if you're questioning, then you're doing something wrong. That's one of the ways that they keep people in. And the other way is basically saying, this is the right way. And if you don't believe in this way, then we're really sad and sorry for you because you're missing out, you know, and I looked at all these little things that they did to keep people in and yeah. to bring people in. And there were a lot of similarities. And there was a lot of similar, I mean, you know, Mormonism is far from the only faith that uses, that uses these different things, yep. right? So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that was my first big, like, what am I doing? And then I had taught so often in the young women's programs. And when I thought about my kids going through the young women's and young men's programs, I was so hesitant because I tweaked lessons all the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> like I uh -huh. was that teacher in the church where it was like, this is a lesson on how important like children, you know, having children are. And I would instead be like, so where's everybody going to college? Like, what do you want to do? And you know, where we yes. would just kind of talk about envisioning your future rather than that one specific aspect. So, right. and I was realizing I'm, I know I'm not the only teacher who does that, but I know that I'm not the norm. Right. I, I was going to say kids mm -hmm. going through that was like, I don't, one of my kids mentioned going to BYU and I was like, Oh God, no, please. Like, yeah, <laughs> was my initial reaction. Like, please don't do that. And I remember thinking that really should say something to you, Joe. And I ignored it and marched on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about why you marched on for a minute, because 
this is so important. And it happens to every single person that has walked this path of, you know, escaping from a religion that has been damaging to them Mm -hmm. is, yeah, it's this time period where you start to see stuff and you're like, Mm -hmm. but no, like, I'm just going to keep going. So yeah. Talk to it. Like, talk to us about that time for a little bit. Like, why did you keep going on? Like, what did you think was going to happen? I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Honestly, like I can tell you, honestly, even then I didn't know it was going to happen. I knew there were some things that I really liked and it, it goes back to the same things that I talked about earlier of, of, you know, there's a place here for everybody only there actually isn't, but you know, you're told there's a place here for everybody. And, um, and, you know, families together forever kind of thing. And I was, it was, a, there was a fear there of, of letting that go. And I remember thinking for so long, like, just watching some of the, you know, the blatant misogyny and some of the blatant racism and thinking, like, I can be a voice for good. I can make comments that hopefully are meeting people halfway, right? And maybe... And I, I remember thinking that and we um, we moved states um, and so it was like big, big move for us. And I remember thinking like, you know, we could just break it off right now and not go. But we didn't. We went, you know, I mean, when you move into a new area and you have an entire ward who's like ready to move you into your house, that's that's like a big it's a big deal when you move right. to a place where you don't know anybody, you suddenly have. You have immediate connection, right. right? You move, you have immediate connection. You have an immediate community that, you know, yes, that brings yes. you in. So, so we moved to this new area and immediate connections with people there and really fun people, really outdoorsy people, you know, Colorado is very, you know, filled with that. And, um, but I think, I think that was also really the biggest kind of beginning of the end because I remember there were a few different points where I was like until my testimony and my belief in this is better I should not be teaching mm-hmm. and I mentioned it kind of flippantly in an offhand comment to somebody else who was in the leadership of the young women's and they're like you know they're like everybody questions things you know being where you are and doing what you're doing right now is just the best thing that you can do for yourself so you know, it's, you're good. Just keep it up. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Mm-hmm. So, so you're like, okay. So, uh, okay. So it was that same thing, yes. right? If you just try a little harder, if you just work a little harder, then you'll understand. Yeah. And yeah. And just, and just forward. stay here and keep, keep yeah. submitting to the teachings every week. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. And it'll, it'll all come around. I, right. the community, the community thing cannot be understated because no. So I know that there are, are people, like I know some of them, who look at women in religious circles and are like, how could they just stay there? Like, how could they, like, this is so silly. Like, how could they not see? And it kills me because there's 1,000 reasons that are all extremely valid. But community is one of them, especially if you don't have a lot of family support in that area. Yeah you know, be having this list of people to call to get help. When you need something. Yes. Yeah. Is huge. It's and to cut monumental. yourself off from that 
feels very, not to be overdramatic, but it feels suicidal in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that is like, that's on like a genetic level as like, we've been like for centuries, that's how you survived. Like you had to have a tribe. Like we are very averse to cutting off our community. I remember I was talking to a friend who's going through a faith transition herself and it's been very painful for her. But one of the things that she's dealing with right now is not only the loss of community, but the loss of her hope that some of these people were good enough friends that they would have stayed through it and realizing, oh, no, (laughs) it was just the connection was just the religion. Yes. And that is excruciating for people to have to to walk through. You feel very betrayed and very lost. And it's yes, this community thing is a is a very big part of why we continue to stay. Yeah. Okay, so you I know you were having a lot of concerns. I'm trying to remember. So the two were the history of the church was one of your things. And the other thing was the treatment of women within the church. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about like the issues you were seeing around the treatment of women and okay. how it was affecting you, like what you internalized. Do you know what I, like that okay, shift? So, yeah. Happened. So yeah. I have a couple, I have a couple experiences because like, um, so I was in charge of all the water sports one summer for girls camp. It was blazing hot for Alaska. So like everybody wanted to do water sports all the time. And the rules around like there were no shorts allowed. There were no sleeveless shirts allowed. It's like 80 degrees and Alaskans melt when it's 80 degrees. And it's also humid. So it's not just, you know. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, just let them stay in their swimsuits. Like who cares? And it was very, very strict. Like we had to have a lifeguard down at the lake at all times, no matter what. You have to have a lifeguard. So literally half of my time was spent planning activities and and getting some extra kayaks and paddle boards and things like that for us to use. And half of my time was spent trying to get volunteer um, lifeguards the whole time I was out there. And I remember that one evening and like I, we had to go over railroad tracks and there was a gate with a key. So I was like the gatekeeper. I had the key. Right. So I was the only person and we had to go through in shifts. It's like this whole big safety thing because the railroad tracks are used like really often. And so, um, so anyway, I remember a ward came in and they wanted to do a little ward activity down by the lake. And I was like, okay, just remember rule state. Nobody can be in the water unless you have a lifeguard. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I give him the key for them to go down there. And of course they all jumped in and swam. And I was like, why do I have to follow the rules? And this guy doesn't have to follow the rules. Like this makes literally no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I remember being in the temple and they were doing baptisms for the dead, which is one of the things that we do in the temple. And um, <laughs> I, know. I and love we were it. Going, I know. What, it's like, what, just, what just happened here? Because I watched her face <coughs> was very casually baptisms for the dead because it's so normal. And then her realizing like, wait, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not a normal thing. So doing baptisms for dead in the temple, which is a thing that we do with the youth. And I remember telling my husband, because you had to travel with a certain number of men. 
The men were always the ones pulling over on the side of the road, letting the kids run around when we weren't supposed to. The dudes were always the ones like breaking the rules. And I'm like, but we had to have a certain number of dudes with us, right? To go do, because it's like three hours away. The temple trip is like three hours away. And we go, and there was a bunch of French names. And I took French all through college. And I taught French when I first started teaching. And I can't, I mean, now it's like gone. But at the time, I was still pretty French. And my husband didn't, like, he would look over his shoulder and he'd be like, how do you say this name? And I would just whisper it to him. And then I'd step back and then he would, he would say the little, you know, rote script that you say for that person and say the name. And I remember one of the people in there came up to me and touched my shoulder and they were like, you can't do that. You, what? I can't, I couldn't help with pronunciation. Was it because you weren't allowed to like stand there? Like. No, I was allowed to stand there. They didn't want me helping the guy who was my husband who asked for my help, help him pronounce the names. Which is ridiculous because if he had turned to one of the other men and asked, it would, it would not have been an issue. It would not have been an issue. Oh my Absolutely God. Not. That is bananas. I was expecting you to say, <laughs> yeah, I was expecting you to say like that you were like, well, I can say it. and But you were just whispering in his ear. Yeah, so that he, he when could... he would get caught on a pronunciation, he would be like, he would whisper it to me and I would nod or he'd be like, what's this one? And I would just whisper it to him and then I would send back and then he would say the whole thing. And that was like too much involvement for a little girl. Apparently. Oh was my God. 30 some years old. Whoa. Okay. So I have, yeah. I have to, I'm trying to think, I don't think in hardly any of these episodes, baptism for the dead has come up. So. For everyone that's not Mormon who is like, what the hell are you? What is this? I'm just going to give a super <laughs> brief what this is so that you don't lose your yeah. mind and you can focus on the rest of the episode. So <laughs> this is a very distracting term for someone who's never heard it before. It's like it a is. full no, stop. Sure. Like, wait, what? So super yeah. simple explanation. Uh, Mormons believe that everyone has to be baptized um, and seal them in the temple and all those things to achieve the highest level of heaven. Um and so by doing baptisms for the dead, really what's being done is it's it's kind of circumventing that evangelical view that we already talked about where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you didn't do this here, so you're screwed. So Mormons are like, okay, but if we do the mm, ceremonies, not ceremonies, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Ordinance. Yes, the ordinance is required in behalf, in proxy of this person, then in heaven then the person can be like, will you accept these things? And then they have right. the opportunity the to say yes or no. Or no. Yes, which I always thought was so funny because I was like, who the fuck says no? Who is like, yeah. you know, like who's like, have <laughs> I know. no? No, thank you. Um, I just always thought it was so funny that we that it would but be that's, presented that's, like that. But that's so, in, in a sense, that's so nefarious, right? That's saying at any point in time, you have a choice. Yeah. But there's clearly only one you can make. Exactly. Right? You know, that's really, ex- and there's that a is, choice, but, but not there's really. not exactly. And that's so like my entire history with Mormonism. And I know yours too, where it's like, yeah, choose. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I have free will. Yeah. Okay, I'm do- but you're not, right. you're not actually no. doing this at all. Um. Anyway. So yes. Yeah, so, so they actually will do these ordinance works. So from baptism to, um, temple ceilings and temple ordinances and all of that um, on behalf of people who have already died. 
And so people will do genealogy work and find their whole family line. And then we'll submit all of these names to the temple so that other people can do the work for them, which is why you had a list of French names that your husband could not pronounce was because somebody's line was from France or it was a member who was French. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there's a lot of feelings around this outside of the church. Obviously people feel very violated knowing that like yeah. if they're not Mormon and then finding out that their family line has been done, like very yeah. violated, which frankly I understand. Yeah. <laughs> like I would be upset. And the way that they, the way they get around it is saying, yeah, but they have a choice. They have a choice. So we're not forcing them so to be Mormon. So we're not Mormon. forcing anything. Yeah. We're giving them the opportunity that they never got on earth. Exactly. How benevolent of us. Exactly. exactly but we're not going to pronounce your name properly because my wife is not allowed to tell me how to pronounce that right she's gonna butcher it she's she's just a girl oh my god i cannot (laughs) believe i cannot believe that they would not let you help him like i'm not shocked by a lot of things i grew up in that church but that (laughs) i'm like what weird it is because like and this is what gives me the fact that women, like, it doesn't matter if we have the knowledge or not. If we are not a man, if right. there's not a penis between our legs, like, yeah, we, cannot, we cannot help. I remember, and I might have told this story on some episode, but I don't remember. I uh, was called to do the steak. So it's the steak for, I always, like, sorry, I get so casual when I'm talking to Mormons, because it's my familiarity area. So then I start yeah, talking yeah. to them. So multiple wards gathered together is called a stake. So they have these stake meetings every, I don't know, twice a year or something. So they called me to do the music and do the choir music, because um, that's what I did. Like, I teach voice lessons. Right. I, I'm not a normal choir conductor, but, you know, they don't care about that. You say music, they're like, oh, you can do all the things. Anyway. Yeah. So... I went through, I chose the music according to the rules because there are very ridiculous ass rigid rules around music in a Mormon oh, sacrament. Oh my gosh. They're yeah. so absurd. So I, I got it all picked out. I found everything. And then they told me, they're like, okay, well, you have to go get this cleared by the stake president, who's of course a dude. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And they're like, no, you, you have called to- me to do a job. Yes. You asked me to do a job for free. Yes, exactly. For the blessings that you get in return. Yes. And now you have to get extra approval, extra. even though you asked me to do it. Exactly. Because I'm I the now have I'm to go. Yeah. So because I was not a very good Mormon woman, <clears throat> I, uh, I went in because that was required and I took the sheet music and I set it on his desk and I sat down and I just looked at him and he was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So he's like pushing the sheet music around. He has no idea. I know he has no idea. Yeah. Like he plays basketball. Like that's, that's right. And and he's a dentist. (laughs) Like he doesn't have any idea. Of course he is. (laughs) Of course. Right. Of course he is. Exactly. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. So, um, so he's pushing it around and I am not helping him in the least degree. Like, I'm like, I refuse. I refuse. This is fucking ridiculous. I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. Yeah. So I just sat there and he finally like looks up at me and he's like, I'll be honest with you, Sister Walls. Um, I don't I don't know what I'm looking at. And I was like, I know. So you called me to do this job. <laughs> so how about you trust I did me the job. when I tell you that that is appropriate? And then I just sat there and he was like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> and like handed it back to me. Because <laughs> I was I like, I am not, so I am not helping you with this. Like, if you want to like pull up on your phone and listen to it, that's fine. But I'm not providing it. Like, yeah. I, this is, I am so done with this crap. Um, but that is like, it's this ridiculous. Like, oh, you're a woman. Okay, well, we need to get yeah. approval from the man who has no idea, and you're the expert about but we still anything. Have to clear it yeah. with this person because he's male. And like, yeah. if you're a lifeguard, like, well, we still need a man at the beach for to have priesthood, even though he can't swim. Like, we're st- he still has to be on the beach. Right. Like, it's so. <gasps> anyway, okay, yes, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> the inter- the interviews. Like, since you touched that topic, the interviews that you have to do alone in a room with a dude, I will always look back and be like, why didn't I just stand up and walk out or say no? Yeah. That is one of the things where I'm like, there were a couple times. I, there was one, there was one gentleman who was part of the stake presidency. So like, you know, over the different wards or whatever in my area. And I swear every time I went in to get a temple recommend, so like for him to sign off that I was okay to go to the temple, he would pause on the pornography. Like, do you, you know, partake of pornography? I can't remember how the question is phrased or whatever, or do anything like adultery wise or whatever. And he would sit there in silence after asking that for so long. And then he would ask it again. And then like, are you sure? And I'm like, what, sir, is running through your brain right now in regards to me? Wait a second. Okay, so he would say, do you do you view or participate in pornography? You would say no. And he would just sit there in silence after you'd responded? Yeah. And then ask it again? Yeah. yeah. Or like adultery, like do you do you keep – I forget exactly how the question is phrased, but it's basically like, are you faithful to your husband? And then, and then list some things that are possible transgressions that are not in the questions, that are not in the official questions, and would just sit there. What? And I was like, I already answered that. I feel pretty good about my answer to that. Oh. Yeah, it was weird. That is. Well, and I had to then purposefully schedule, because you couldn't purposefully schedule, like, who you met with. You would just go on a, a specific night, and they would all be there. And then as they finished with one person, they would just be like, who's next? And then you would just go in. And I remember that he stepped out and I could tell he was going to ask who's next. And I'm like, I am not going in with that guy again. And I went and got a drink and came back and had a regular interview with one of the others. It was bizarre. Creepy. I won't, I won't miss those. Creepy. Well, and it's awful Super because creepy. so you had joined later. So you were never part of the interviews where the you're eight interviews. years old and being asked yeah. to masturbate by a 50, 60 year old your old dude that you don't know yes like how well and from i never i'm trying to think like i never went in for like repentance of sexual sins uh but like i've heard so many stories of people that yeah it's like they answer yes and then again, you have a eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 year old girl oh. on the other side of the desk from a grown ass man yeah. who was saying like, but how far did it go? Where did he touch you? Right. Explain to me right. in detail exactly how the, t- like, it's horrible. Yeah. And don't it's tell me horrifying. that that does not prime women for sexual assault. Oh, it hundred percent does. Because yeah, you're, 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 you're immensely uncomfortable, but it doesn't matter. You're going to sit there. Right. And he didn't touch you like with his hands, but 
it was the same amount of just not the same amount, but like it primes you again for the it actual action you to just accept. Yes. To accept that that men are going to put you in comfortable situations. And not only is it OK, but it can be for righteous purposes. Yes. Oh, that was yes. For righteous. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was perfect. Joe. Yes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my Thank husband you. is a I prosecutor. So I am. My husband's a prosecutor. So I'm like so attuned to things that prime women to end up in these abusive relationships because in 98 to 99% of the cases that he's prosecuted over almost 18 years, the woman goes back on what she says when she's terrified and calls 911. Yes. You know, let's 98 can- to 99% of the time. So I, I am just like the ways, the really simple ways that we disregard the things that women say have a far more reaching impact than we realize. And that's the impact. Yes. Can we please talk about that? Like, what did you see firsthand in the Mormon church that you both mm, dealt with personally, but also saw that primes women for these situations? Because I think this is so important. I think the interviews for one. And I think one of the things that we don't tell that I wish all Mormon, all females within the LDS church understood is that if you want your woman leader to go in with you in an interview, you can ask her to go in and they can be there. And I can't say no. I can tell you for a fact, I was never told that once ever in my whole life. I know. And it's a thing. And most people don't even know. And I'm like, you should just always do it. You should just always do that. If, if that's where you are and that's where you're at in your life is within that you need to have another woman there. I remember. So there was a couple in our ward. The guy gave off super speedy vibes. We've all been around men like that and was married to this super, super sweet lady. And he, um, his name came across my husband's desk at the prosecutor's office. So my husband looks it up and he pulls up the 911 call. And, um, I mean, it was a case that was, no, he didn't because it wasn't his case. It was somebody else's case and they were listening to it. And Mike was like, sounds familiar looked at the file was like I know these people she was terrified and she was calling from her husband's office he had put his knee on her head held her down took the kid taken off it was a whole big messy thing we didn't know this had happened so out of the blue the week before they'd invited us over to their house for dinner and like they weren't people that we really hung out with but we're like oh they're just good Mormons doing the good Mormon thing and trying to branch out their circle of friends within our ward and we went and it was all kind of weird. We left and I was like, was that weird? And Mike's like, that was a little weird. So we go and then this case comes up. And so my husband was like, well, I really, he goes, I have to say something to our, to our bishop, to our you know leader of our board. And Mike goes in there and the bishop was like, oh, I've talked to them. And it really is something that goes both ways. And Mike's like, he's a 250 pound man. She is a teeny tiny skinny woman. And he had his knee on her head. So like, this isn't a two-way situation. Right. It's not. Um, anyway, long story short, the whole thing resolved as soon as he didn't get his felony count that would make him lose his medical practice or whatever. He divorced her. It was awful. And I just remember thinking the church leadership just accepted the guy saying, well, this goes both ways, you know? Yeah. Well, she it's... really gets excitable. And the, and even then for the bishop to be telling my husband, it goes both ways. You know, I know she seems really, but she does get, you know, kind of physical. And Mike's like, he's literally double her size and double her weight. 
this is not an equal fight. This is not like two bros who can't get along. Right. That's not what this is. Right. So, well, yeah. And well, that- and just the disparity between the money given to the young men and the and the small amount of money given to the young women. And, you know, it just, I know that they say that that has evened out now, but the disparity is so blatant that again, what are you priming young women for? You are second place. Right. That's where you belong. You are there to look pretty and you are there to take care of the kids so the dude can go off and do the fun stuff. That's what you're there for. Yeah. And that's the lesson that you're given from the very beginning from Cub Scouts, from when those kids are like five, six, seven, and the boys start Cub Scouts and meet every week and the girls meet every other week and do craft projects and homemaking projects. And the boys are out in the woods doing cool shit. Right. It's not fair. And they start it really young. I, I feel like, you know, as I took some tiny steps away from the church and then some bigger steps, I feel so grateful that for me, it felt a lot like coming home because that's where I started. Right. And for the people that have lived with that their whole life, their journey is so different and it's so much more tumultuous than mine was. And, and I mean, mm-hmm. comparing doesn't really do anybody any mm-hmm. good, but, but I look at people like you and I just think how much more you have to unpack and to unravel because it starts immediately. Mm-hmm. It is, it is very different. I remember when we left it, it was very rough for me. Well, in the, and the coming into it was rough and the coming out of it was rough. And like, it was a very long, painful process. But my husband was just like, okay, like we're done. Like, and we're moving yeah. on. But he, again, like they, he didn't really start going to church till he was like 12. He did not have oh. that same like level of indoctrination. He didn't have the same belief right. systems. Um, right. You know, a lot of it for him was like, well, I'm here and I guess this is what we do. So I guess we'll do it. Like right. that didn't, yeah, he right. didn't have that deeper thing. And it, it is, it's distinctly right. Different, like different, both are painful, mm-hmm. but very they're both different. painful, but very different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the what was I just had seen one thing here that I was going to say. Oh, so you mentioned to me in our pre-interview, you said that you'd heard over the pulpit over and over again, we re- we revere women, but what we're shown is no, your place is here. Yeah, which I love. I mean, I think we kind of led up to that, but yeah, it's yeah. that like. No, you're so precious. You're so incredible. We, we, we really raise women up to this great extent. And I remember thinking, but you say that you have the organization of the original church and in the original church in the Bible, even despite how many women were erased, which if you read Beth Allison Barr, it's staggering how many female names were changed to male names in different translations. Okay, wait. But so I'm Beth, like Beth Alice, I think I don't think I read this one. Beth Alice. Yeah, that's Barr. that biblical womanhood the Oh yeah, I yeah, yeah. Find. I have that one actually and I haven't finished it yet. Biblical womanhood. I it will piss you off, but it's good. And it's very geared toward evangelical, but it is fascinating. That's, that's why I haven't finished it yet. Um because I did start yeah. it and it still it was still was so in it that I I hadn't right, but I do need to read that. The making of biblical woman. Yes, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so sorry. and you so, look at how women. No, it's fine. How women are erased, and I remember thinking, if we had the original structure, then women would have the priesthood. Like this is, this is basic, basic stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. So then, so then the first thing that happened is they did make some changes to the temple ordinances to make them a little better. You still have to veil your face, but there's some things about like obeying your partner or your spouse or your husband, obeying your husband. I don't remember exactly the words that were taken out and some things like that. And I remember thinking, this is bullshit. You basically took out something that was so offensive that it should have never been in there to begin with. And now you want to be touted as being <clears throat> super forward thinking. Like, right. No, because, because we now don't take an oath to be, obey. What, yeah. Obey our husbands. Obedient yes. or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Well, and exactly but now like, look at how great we are. Look at what we've done for you. And I was like, this is like 2% of something that needs to be or like two degrees of something that needs to be changed, like mm-hmm. 150 degrees. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. And I remember thinking, like, for me, it's really funny because I know for a lot of people, those little changes are like, this is what I've been waiting for. And they really felt so great and excited about the future of the Mormon church. Yeah. And for me, I was like, this says they know there's a problem and they're not willing to do shit about it. Yes. Well, and you know what it says to me? It says to me, like, okay, we fully believe that women should obey their husbands. So we mm-hmm. aren't going to change anything about the church that keeps that message in the undercurrent, in the underbelly, right. where it can still get into people's heads. But we're going to mm-hmm. take out where we say the quiet part out loud so that right. we don't have to acknowledge that we're still That it's doing. still there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. because it absolutely... It's- is still there. Yes. Oh yeah. And it's very much like, this is why when I, when I say stuff a lot, like I wasn't a very good Mormon woman that I just said in this episode, (laughs) I had a very hard time keeping my mouth shut Mm -hmm. about the injustices and the problems that I was seeing. And so I was, I was a problem quotations like I I was the one that was disrupting things but what nobody realized including I'm sure my parents is that for everything I had said there was like 17 that I had swallowed in an attempt to be what I was supposed to be oh yeah in an attempt to be quiet and obedient like I was supposed to be Mm -hmm. which was so damaging yeah okay so for you I'm curious you started very independent very I mean, I would say pretty a feminist type of mindset mm-hmm. as a youth. So you join mm-hmm. the church. Did you see a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? A descent out of like the feminism that you had into an attempt to be a Mormon woman before you started yeah. coming back out? Yeah. 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 What did that Let's see. Okay. I'm just going to say, what did that do to you? And if that's a confusing question, I'll try to be more specific. No, that's, it's not. It's a hard question to answer, no matter how it's phrased. I think it's the, it's the trying to, trying to marry the things that I saw there that were good, that made me join the church initially with the person that I was. And so I would go through these phases where I would be like Mormon all in. And then I would feel a little bit like I was betraying myself a bit. And so then I would say, yeah, but I'm still listening to my music. I'm still teaching the lessons my way. And I would go through these phases of like really trying to dress and all. I mean, 
you know, there are a few like standard staple, like every Mormon woman has mm-hmm. like, things, I refuse, you know. I refuse to buy those. I, sure. I, I always <laughs> refuse to buy those. There was yeah. no, there was I no would buy them like maxi skirts in my closet. No, but like everybody was doing those like long dresses that are basically pajamas. They're like t-shirt oh, dresses, yes. right? Like everybody had one of those in like four colors. And I remember buying one, right? So I did buy one because everybody else had them, Debbie. I had to fit in. You had to, and absolutely. So I had to fit in because <laughs> I was feeling very rebellious. So I was like, okay, so maybe if my outsides match what it should. And I remember getting this long dress. It might've been a wrap dress, a floral wrap, like t-shirty thing. Yeah. And I was like, I literally cannot wear this. I can't. I cut it off at the knees and I hemmed it <laughs> and I wore it that way instead. Yes. Like I, every time like my kids would start laughing at me because I'd be like, oh, this is pretty. Cause I'm like, it'd be so nice if it was really long. Cause then if I don't feel like shaving my legs or if I just want to wear super comfy shoes or whatever, then I've got this comfy thing. Every single time I would cut it off at the knees or just above the knees. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't wear the uniform. I can't do it. So it is such a uniform. Oh my it God. Is. Like anyway, which by the way, as somebody again, who didn't have the right like body shape or size to wear the uniform properly. It was just like one more thing of this is also wrong. Right. Like right. you can't well, even and, like, dress I'm a busty like a proper girl. Mormon girl. Yes. Right. I'm a busty girl. I got like 34 triple D's. Right. Uh-huh. So like I'm, there's some boobs there. And the, here's the thing that's really hard. I would wear a simple like black wrap dress. Right. Yeah. And it looks like a date night dress. Yep. Yep. And I would get comments like, you know, and I'm looking around and I'm like, I am literally wearing a skirt that's longer than the person next to me. But because I got curves, it looks sexier. And, and I did, the interesting thing is I didn't get comments from the men. I'm, I'm tall, I'm about five, eight. And I went through a period where I wore sky high heels to church, which put me at about six feet tall. Uh Guys didn't say anything to me, but the women would be like, oh, you know, date night outfit on Jolene today or whatever. And I'd be like, uh. <laughs> which again, I don't know if this it's not for you, for me. And this, this is definitely connected to a lot of my internalized, like fat phobia from just growing up and society and all of that. But I definitely interpreted like comments as my body is wrong. My body should be hidden. There's something wrong with my body. And Mm -hmm. it was just one more thing that like I was wrong in. And so it just Mm -hmm. like shrunk and shrunk and shrunk me into this like pile of goo that kept screaming to get out, but like was not worthy on any front. Right. Because yeah, curves. It was inappropriate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I absolutely mm-hmm. had a Relief Society lesson directed straight towards me because um, my outfits were um, distracting to her husband and son. And I wish I was making that up, but I can't. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. Yes, I know. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I could just exhausting. talk about that for a while. Like we're not bombarded enough I that know. in this place that's supposed to be our like safe haven from the world and our spiritual relaxation or whatever. We're being hypersexualized to the point where our shoulders can't be uncovered. Yes. And our skirt really should be like mid-knee mid or lower. Uh-huh. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And we can't have tight shirts unless you're super thin yeah. and not sexual. But if oh, you've got uh, the curves, number, 
yeah, the number of women that I saw in like bodycon dresses, basically that you know were straighter, flatter, or whatever. If I had worn that, I hundred percent would have gotten comments. Yes, yeah, and yeah. I, I, it's interesting that you pointed out that the comments were coming from the women because. Of course, mm-hmm. of course they were. Cause if the men comment now, yeah. this is over the, you know, this is like, it's that's over the line. That's yeah, too much. That's but if too the much. women say it, they can fix the problem in a nice way. Right. Rather than. Yeah. Right. And so even as mm-hmm. women, and this is a huge problem and I was reading, damn it. What book are they were just talking about this? Anyway. Um, yeah. It's, it's often the women that keep other women in line within patriarchal yeah. systems. Like it's very, absolutely very common. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, so you talked about that you had a desire for a while to stay in the church to show that you could be a feminist and a member of church at the same time. Yeah. Which you can't. You can't. <laughs> like you can't, you absolutely can't, but I did. I did. I was thinking in my mind, like I can, I can be a voice for good here. And I see that with a lot, so many friends of mine. I don't want to let that go. They don't want to let that sense of community go. They don't want to let that spiritual side of them go. And I just, I wish I could say there are other communities out there and you can be as spiritual as you want. You don't have to be in church on Sunday to be an incredibly spiritual person. You don't, you can do it however suits you and however works best for you. You, you can, and you're going to be okay. Yeah. I had a conversation with somebody who left the church and she's not somebody that I know very well, but she's another writer. And man, let me tell you, us writers are some cool people. Like, we are. We are. Know, dang we it. are cool people. <laughs> you all should so, get to know us. We're lovely. We sh- Exactly. <laughs> um, and I remember reaching out to her and just saying like very tentatively. And this was at just after COVID started and everything was kind of shut down. And after that first month after not going to church, I was like, how am I ever going to go back? Like the relief was. Oh, um, even the beginning of the pandemic when I was scared about the pandemic and what's going to happen because I read way too much dystopian fiction. (laughs) And and I'm like, what is our world going to look like? And I remember the relief that came from not going to church. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to go back? So I reached out to her and I remember she just said to me, she goes, she goes, if you leave, if you decide to leave, you're going to be okay. And it was like the most simple, simple thing. But every time I got to a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, am I choosing right? Because you are taught by everything, like just by the whole culture of it, that your decisions need to be approved by somebody else. Yes. By God, by a guy. Yes. Right. By a priesthood holder, whatever. Your decisions have to be approved by somebody else. And so it's so hard to start. I feel like I'm like a few years into this, like I'm out and I'm still finding myself second guessing my decision making ability. Mm. But I remember her just saying, you're going to be okay. And the number of times that I have gone back and just told myself that, like, you're going to be okay. Just take a breath. Mm-hmm. And I take a breath and I'm like, I can breathe. I'm good. Like this is coming back to the person you were before. This is recognizing that you can be as spiritual or as not spiritual as you want to be. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes. Yes. I love, first of all, I forgot that you had left, like COVID was the actual like, oh. That was the oh. actual, like I'm done. 
Yeah, yeah. and I think that I was happened pretty for a close lot of to that. A lot of people. I was pretty close when COVID started. I remember going to my husband and saying, I I need to go talk to somebody and I need to be released from my calling because I'm looking at these lessons and I'm like, I can't teach this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was and my I remember, final mm-hmm, too. Yeah. And I remember talking to another good friend because I was saying like, the church is not a safe space for so many kids, like anybody in the LGBTQ community, like yeah. this is not. So if it's not safe for one, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be considering it a safe place for any kid. Right. Right. Like if it's not safe for one, it's not safe for anybody. I remember thinking that's terrible because any belief system should be a place where people feel welcome and people feel positive, just good vibes, right? Like it should be filled with positivity for everybody. And you can't say like, oh, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome because you're not going to let them participate in all the things that you say they need to do. It's like right. inviting somebody over to dinner and then making them sit in the living room while you eat. It's not there. Right. So they're not actually welcome. They're welcome to come in the building, but they're not welcome to the meal. Right. Which really, like if you take that analogy you just gave and look at the effects that would have on somebody, like being invited to dinner, oh. but then like you can't eat at our table, like you have to eat over here. That's it's awful. Yes. And like, that's exactly, I think awful. anyone listening would be like, oh my God, I would never do that. But yet it, no. it's completely okay. To it's done all the time. All the time. And with higher stakes, yeah. like it's bumped oh. clear up to where now we're talking about God and heaven and hell and eternal life and like salvation. Right. And now we're going to make Not you Not just sit. your dinner. Yes. Just over there in right. the foyer. Yeah. Exactly. But that's okay because yeah. why? Because that's God. It's not us. That's right. God. Dinner, it's that's us. us. But like not. Yeah. yeah. That's not. That's God. Yeah. Which is completely okay. I watched this video, which was so brilliant. I think it was on TikTok, I'm sure. Um, but this guy was talking about the God of the Bible, which you see the God in the Book of Mormon is slightly less harsh, but still not great. Um, mm-hmm. But the God in the Book of Mormon, how it's it's destruction and it's, it's warfare and it's vengeance and it's, you know, destroy these people mm-hmm. because all this thing. And he's like, if this is your belief system, then when you are here and there are people that believe different than you, any actions taken against these people, whether it be just like, you know, mild cruelty to genocide are acceptable and right, necessary. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's how things are are done. And it was such a powerful comparison of what happens when it's like well yes we don't let women participate but god and yes lgbtq people Mm -hmm. can't participate but god like it's it's everything is justified everything is acceptable Mm -hmm. and that doesn't jive with the god who is supposedly made of and built of love it doesn't make any sense it doesn't i think that what people do in their bedroom is like the least of god's concerns right Right. i told my husband i was like if god is real i literally picture them as just like why can't you all just fucking get along already yeah just be nice damn it yeah like that's it that is legitimately if you want to listen to christ that is legit he was just like stop with all the dumb little stuff and just be nice to each other yeah yes and I know. And here we are. <laughs> well, well, I know. And here we are just continuing to be like, but God said you're unworthy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I, and this is such a silly example and like super oversimplified and I get that. But 
I really am like, okay, if God is love, God wants us to be happy. God, you know, we're his children, all these mm-hmm. things. But also God said that women are, you know, less than men and need men to get to wherever we're going mm-hmm. and all of those things. If that's actually how God wanted it laid out, like if God wanted women to be second class citizens, then he would have created us with much less ambition, less of a brain. Yeah. Like, less of, like yeah. so that we could be happy right. in that role. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense that a loving God well, would be like, let's make it so they don't fit and then just make them fit. Like, it just. And then there's so many teachings that talk about, like, how do you treat, how do you treat your enemy? How do you treat the people that are weaker than you? And it's always about bolstering those people up, right? If you look in any New Testament, it's about raising up the people that you don't get along with. It's about learning to understand them. It's about raising up the people who are sick or raising up the people who are who are weaker in any in any form whether it's actual muscle less muscles or less you know less mental faculty depending on their situation or whatever it is it's how are we treating how are we treating the people who fall through the cracks and um if that's how we're going to if if that's a thing and if judgment is a thing and if that's how we're going to be judged, we're failing miserably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like when you're, when you're looking at it that way, I don't know. Yeah. It's so, so true. I don't know yeah. if that came out. I've tracked how I meant it, but well, you're welcome to um, give it another okay. shot if you want to try a different but, direction. <laughs> I just feel like if there, if I don't think there is, but if there is any kind of a judgment, we really are going to be judged on how we treat the people that that we don't fully understand. Yeah. And and I think like as a society in general, we are terrible at that. Mm-hmm. The number of bishops that I have had that weren't, you know, upper middle class is one. Mm-hmm. And I am 46 mm-hmm. and joined the church at 19. One in all those years was an upper middle class. Yep. Like, and only two or three have been also not like, you know, like you mentioned basketball, right? Not like basketball players or mountain bikers or like very athletic people. And I just find it really interesting that the people who tend to get in life everywhere or tend to get, I mean, they've done these studies on CEOs. Like the number of CEOs that are over six feet is a staggering number versus Mm -hmm. under six feet. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, you see that within the church all the time. Yep. The number of women who end up in in like the little girl female leadership roles are almost always the women who are like dressed every single uh-huh. day. Uh-huh. And it's like it's so blatant. Like yep. it's so blatantly obvious when you sit there and look at it. every once in a while, you know, someone else will will end up in a leadership role. But I feel like they don't last long and I feel like they are judged harshly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. There's there's a stereotype for the men's leadership. There's a stereotype for the stereotype women's leadership. The- and it's there for a reason. Uh-huh. It is. And that's, yeah. uh, they, it was funny. They, well, it wasn't funny at the time. It actually was super painful. But they wouldn't let me near young women's with a 10-foot pole. Because, like, one, I had curves and dressed them. Well, so you were like, way too sexy. That, exactly. Yeah. Too sexy. Way too sexy for that. But also couldn't keep my mouth shut and mm-hmm. had always had, like, a part-time job of some sort. And so I was not. Wait, you worked? Yeah. 
Devery. I know. I'm like <laughs> a demon in sexy clothing. Um, but it is, it's like they, it, you had to, yeah, you had to be dressed. You had to look yeah. a certain way. You need to be a stay at home mom. You had to have mm-hmm. a certain, I mean, there were a few exceptions, but this, yes, there's always vibe. a few exceptions. There's a vibe. Yeah. There's a vibe for the Relief Society leadership over the older women. There's a vibe for the young mm-hmm. women's leadership. And it yeah. very rarely varied from that like yeah. model, which again, yeah, what yeah. are the odds that again, like all of God's chosen? Happen right? to you know all of God's chosen Mormon women have blonde hair and like are like super thin and I, it's I know. just ridiculous. Those are those are the ones that happen to be called of God to spend a lot of time in the men's leadership meetings. Planning activities, <laughs> right? What a coincidence! Sorry. That's so bizarre. Wow. <laughs> and again, I have to say, like there are very lovely women that I know that fit this stereotype. Oh. It's not phenomenal we, women we hate, that I know that yes, fit the stereotype. We don't no, hate them. Uh-uh. But it is it's an interesting. Not. It's just weird. Yeah, to be like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Like, why why does this keep happening? Which, by the way, right. for those of you listening, is why Joe um laughed and said, of course, when I was like, the stake president was a dentist, because like and it, I, it's oh all, my gosh. It's all, yeah, doctors, dentists. I mean, very Because the pressure on the men is is phenomenal as well. Like yes. You know, you look at how women are are very much hushed and kind of set aside and told to sit and look pretty. But you look at the men where it's like you have to have a job that supports your entire family. And if you do not, then you are somehow failing. Yes. So the number of LDS men who are doctors or lawyers or dentists and are drowning in student loan debt, I raise my hand, you know, to put their spouse through that kind of schooling so that they can support the whole family. Like, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the ones who don't, I'm sorry, they also are like, oh, he went into a trade. It doesn't quite pay the bills. So his wife also works. So let's be careful as to how much we, you know, burden them with a ton of work that they won't get paid for at the mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Which sounds noble that they're looking out it for It sounds so noble. I It was one of the things that I... It was honestly one of the things that pushed me toward joining the Mormon church is that none of the leadership is paid. And then about five or six years ago, I was, again, doing cult research and they were talking about paid and unpaid and some of the pros and cons. And they said, here's the thing. If you have paid leadership, they can go like, I'm sorry, you have bishops that are just some dude who was on the basketball Mm -hmm. team and is now a dentist because his parents said that's the best way to raise a family who is counseling people in crisis domestic violence situations, has no training and are very little training in how to do it. And that all the training comes from the church and they don't have time to do more training because they're working a full-time job because their position as a clergy member is not paid. Yep. And so it sounds so noble and good. And then when you really look into it, you're like, this is not. And it teaches us too that we should do so many things for free. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. It teaches us that our time is, isn't is worth anything, that just the nature of our good deeds should be reward enough. And I have medical bills to pay and food to put on the table and kids that I want to try and help through college. And mm-hmm. it's a hard, hard thing to unlearn. It is. Absolutely. Well, and if we talk about like what you just said in regards to the abuse, like setting women up for abuse... Um, as with the, mm-hmm. the not training part of that. Right. If, you know, if you knew someone who was in an abusive marriage and they were talking to you and they were like, well, 
I know, but I went to the my next door neighbor and he said that I should stay with him and that it's fine. You'd be like, why the fuck are you talking to the next door neighbor? Yeah. But like, that's what's happening. But now it's right. the bishop. It is literally, I'm sorry. But the bishop, he's just a dude. He's just a dude. Just he has, a random yeah, dude. No training often <laughs> is your neighbor. And But now that he's yeah. the bishop, now he has like special gifts from God. And so we're right. taking these women and saying, oh, don't go to the authorities. Go to your bishop. No. And the bishop is like, yeah. maybe give See your husband more sex. Out. He'd probably be happier. You know? Yeah. And like, that's like God's word now. And the danger and the tragedy oh. that has occurred because of this. Is catastrophic. It is catastrophic. Yeah. And Ugh. it's something that has been led into for both males and females from the time they start in primary. Absolutely. Absolutely. As someone who gearing grew up them up the for church. those kinds of uneven relationships. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is. And I, even as, as an adult, as I started to like wake up and be like, wait a second. This is problematic on so many levels. The amount of times that I heard, well, we made an appointment to talk to the bishop about it. Every situation known to man, from like financial to abusive to should we have a baby right. to like, yeah, all it doesn't matter. It's, yeah, like to like there's sexual uh, abuse happening or like there, right, you know, someone has touched a child. Like we don't, we go to the bishop. Right, because he's called of God. Right. When really he's just a bro. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Exactly. And there's been phenomenal men. I'm not saying, like, there have been phenomenal men who were bishops, but it doesn't mean that they have the training and the the background to be handling those kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. They don't. They don't. And that's exactly it. Like, they many of them have the best intentions, and they are working their Um, asses off. Staying at the mm-hmm. church for hours and hours and hours. Right. But there is no training. They don't have the training. Yeah. And it's problematic. And sometimes, mm-hmm. even if you have the best intentions, like if you're super indoctrinated, your intention is going to line up with the indoctrination. Right. And so it's not like it does. Anyway, I could just. Yeah. Even if you have a good heart, even if you mean well, even if you're being super prayerful about the advice you're giving somebody you still don't have the background to give that advice. Mm-hmm. And it's still so tainted with those beliefs. Yeah. You have internal you biases step back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Internal biases you yeah. are not even aware of. Yep. Oh, Jolene, you're getting me all fired up. All right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, my poor uh, Mary Helen's going to come in here with the sound editing and be like, why is Devery's mic spiked like up through this whole right? <laughs> second half? Cause I'm like, I know. Uh, um, Really quick. I'll keep saying that as if any of this will be really quick. Okay. So it's fine. I want to talk about before, because I think we're getting close to the end here, but I want to make sure you said something a minute ago, and I'm going to pull us back um, about your decisions having to be approved by someone else. And I think this is huge. And I think it affects women more than men in the church. Um, I think it affects men, but I think it affects women to a greater degree. Um, Can you talk to us about like, one, first, how that happened, because you would have had to slide into that because you weren't in that place, right? Like you made your right. own decisions. So that slide into that and then you still trying to rebuild that part of you. Okay. In regards to just like my life decisions or in regards to like things that I was doing within the church? However it affected you, like in whatever way it affected your life. 
because it's such a it, there's such a sliding scale for people like I know people that literally can't make the decision about like what soup brand to buy unless they pray about it and then anything they can talk to the bishop about like they're going to talk oh, to the painful. bishop about oh my god I know yeah, it's painful. so dangerous I did not do that and I I will say this is sort of off topic but I'm gonna say it anyway I will say that I am very grateful that I never took any I never ever went to my bishop about anything sexual not ever not once when they asked I would Good. divert and reroute so that was one place that I can say the church did not you know affect me. And I'm so grateful for that now. Um, okay. I have a story then. So the way that it affected me in my regular life. So I grew up as a teenager, not LDS, you know, sneaking out of the house, drinking, doing all sorts of things, probably should have been arrested, but again, small town, Alaska. So like, who's there to even watch you or catch you. And, um, I, so when I started writing, I wrote young adult contemporary books about the issues that I saw and the books that I wish that I'd had when I was in high school. That was my big, like, these are the books. These are the topics. These are the books. These are the problems. These are the issues that I wish I would have had books about when I was in high school. And so I, I wrote about those things and they came across very real. There was language in them. There was sexual situations in them. And I remember thinking I went through another, like, reorganize myself in the church phase. And I was like, I really need to pull back on the content. It would be really, and my justification at the time is it would be really nice if I had a couple young adult books that I felt comfortable recommending to the young women in the church, the teenage girls in the church. And so I totally pulled back on those things. And my, my last two books that were traditionally published, I am so lukewarm about because they're not what they could or should have been because I was trying to, you know, it's like no rated R movies, right? So I had to make sure that my books were PG-13 or better. And when you're watching a PG-13 movie, it's mm-hmm. like, okay. But when you're reading a PG-13 book, you rec- it's much more plain what you can say in a PG-13 situation. So they're like probably a little more PG than PG-13. And I remember being so disappointed that later you know of course my sales dropped off because it wasn't what my readers were used to and things like that and I was I was done writing young adult anyway I was ready to move on to to different things so that's like fine but I wish I would have gone out of that genre with books Mm -hmm. that were I was really excited about and really excited about talking about instead of books that were me trying to fit into a mold that I wasn't going to fit into. So that's mm-hmm. how, and it's not even getting that approval. It's mm-hmm. doing something that's like quote unquote acceptable, right? That's content acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. And then just feeling so mediocre and lukewarm about it. Like it's so bleh. Right. Well, and it affected your, so. I mean, I'm assuming by the way you worded that it, it affected your career because the readership oh. dropped off. Fully affected my career. Yeah, I took a few years off of writing and just edited to kind of regroup and decide how I wanted to move forward. And then trying to decide how to move forward when you are not used to trusting your own decisions. Mm -hmm. That was another whole thing. And I didn't, I didn't make the connection to that being connected with church teachings, probably until last year. Mm -hmm. So how I mean, I can walk through how it's connected, but I would rather you tell me how you see it. Um, but I'm giving you an out if you don't want to. That's what just happened right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think it's that like every decision can be a prayerful decision, right? And then when you pray and the answer you get is something that you don't think is right, you second guess that decision, right? So like I remember praying like I prayed about I prayed about leaving the church and I remember getting the answer of you're going to be fine. Walk away. And I'm like, "Well, that's clearly not the right answer because right. that's not whatever I've been told." That's not right. So I need to work harder and then I need to try again. So I would work harder and then I would try again. And the answer was still, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not right. I better try again. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So then you double down on some things. And I remember like we, you know, we've moved and we're getting set up. And I remember thinking, okay, I got to double down because that's the answer that I got. You know, this is before pre-pandemic and everything. Is the answer that I got. And I remember just doubling down and like really working hard to make sure we paid our tithing. And I could rant about that for an hour, but I won't. I mean, you could. Um, I could, <laughs> but you know, nobody wants to listen to that. Um, so we work our butt off to pay our tithing and we slip financially in so many other areas of our life. And I remember I finally went to my husband. I was like, look, I knew, I know we really wanted to kind of rededicate ourselves to this, but this is like, like our savings is now like gone and we're not sitting on top of the medical stuff we need to do for our kids and everything else. And the choice is always like, well, you pay your tithing first. And then if you need help, you just go to the bishop. And I was like, it's ridiculous. Like what what a dumb way to do things. Why wouldn't I just like manage my own shit? And so then, you know, again, those prayers, like, is it okay? And then I remember I'm like, okay, you've literally gotten the same answer for years. When are you going to listen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and it just, it takes a long time because you're like, this answer isn't right because it's not because I'm praying. So the prayer means that the answer is going to be something that comes from the gospel. And I'm like, walking away is not a thing right. that would come from that. So my prayer must be wrong or there must be something wrong with me and I must need to repent. Yes. I was actually told to my face by a male leader, like, well, God would never have answered that prayer that way. Like you, need to right pray. so you're wrong yes. like which by the yes. way is so so fucked up because it's so damaging on an oh. trusting yourself and your intuition level when someone is constantly totally. telling you like oh well like you clearly are mishearing right. or misinterpreting right. or you're so bad that you're being right. influenced that by you- the devil because that's that's what they're right. not saying I mean, you heard something, that, right. but it wasn't God. Right. God, wink, wink. Yes. So we know where that exactly. came from. Yeah. And so then, yeah, mm-hmm. to to trust yourself like you, yeah, you lose that faith. And so you're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll take it from someone who's clearly got a, a clearer channel than I do, right. which is the male authority figures in the church. Right. right. And I know women who are. And then it takes a lot of for Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna, no, I was just gonna go. say I know women in the church who are coming out and are so lost by this exact thing. Like they don't know how to yeah. trust any decision that they make, and it puts them into this spin, which I've been in, and I understand. Yeah. And it is so destructive, so destructive. Sorry. So what were you, what were you? I going? think though having somebody though like somebody like you or you know, it's why I think this podcast that you're doing is so very cool. Is for people to start recognizing because you don't recognize how much the, you know, the religious teachings are affecting your daily decisions until you really step back and go, 
why am I doing this this way? Is it because I want to do it this way? Is it because I think I should do it this way? Why do I want to do it this way? And then recognizing how many places that the religion has inserted itself into your life in ways and in places that it shouldn't. And I think once you recognize that, it's a lot easier to find it and to sort of push it out. But when you don't recognize that that's where that specific pressure or stressor is coming from, it's really hard to get rid of it because you don't expect that the stress is coming from a religion because that's supposed to make you not stressed. And so I, I will never forget the like four to six weeks after the pandemic when I was like, I have this weight that is not there anymore yes. that I didn't even realize I was carrying. Yes. And I went back and did a couple activities and it was such a shit show because we were even under church leadership, they were saying like outdoor activities, maintain your distance, you know, meet there, go home, whatever. And I remember setting up an outdoor activity and one of the women leaders showed up and all the kids were in their car. And I'm like, I have a child who is very vulnerable to virus, like to sickness. And you all rode here in a car together. Like that literally defeats the purpose of everything. Right. Right. Like I just, I can't. And that was, that was for me, I I told Mike, I was like, I will hate all of these people if I keep trying to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I remember bringing it up to the bishop and I was released from my calling like the next week. Yeah. Oh, that's so like everything you just said. Anyway. So good. No, I mean, so the, I love the advice. I love the advice of um, step, step back and ask, why do I want to do it this way? Because that is how you Mm -hmm. get out of the spin. Right. You're in this, it this is. spin of like, but I don't know. And is it right or is it wrong? And, da, da, da. and you mm-hmm. have to remove yourself from that circle and be like, okay, why? Yeah. Why do I not trust myself? Right. Why do I think I'm not trustworthy? Why do I keep reaching right. out to every single person I know for verification? And right. where is it coming when from? When I can literally decide for myself and then move forward. Yes. For myself on a thing that is for me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But you're so right. Like if you do not ever stop and be like, why, why do I think this way? You will not get out of it and it will be so painful and you will feel so lost. And I think that is why there's a certain swath of people that leave that end up going back. I think there are multiple reasons, but I think that's one of them is because they can't get out of that spin. And so you go back to where it's comfortable. Whereas if you can just remove and be like, why you'll be like, oh, oh, because I wasn't ever allowed to make a decision by myself without consulting someone who was quote unquote authority. Do I believe that's true? No, that doesn't make sense to me anymore. So now I can make a choice to set that down and walk away. Yeah, that was perfect. Thank you so, so much for bringing that in. And then I do want to, the COVID thing I think is so interesting because I, I I do think that a lot of people followed your path where it was COVID. So yeah. many people. Because I was not alone in my exit journey. There were so, and I have a lot of friends who still go, but they're much more tentative and they're much more guarded um, mm-hmm. in the way that they practice their religion than they were before. And I think having that break, having that break forced a lot of us to step back and go, okay, so we were given this booklet to like, work through with our families. Why are we not picking it up? If this is something we love, why are we not picking it up? Why are we not excited about it? Why are we not like, I can't wait to dig in and see what next week's lesson is. 
It's because like the obvious answer is because you're not interested in it. Right. <laughs> Friend. Right. So you need to do something else. And the number of really deep and interesting conversations that we had with our kids once we took that structure out of it was really phenomenal. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, the different connection. My connection with my children changed the minute I finally was like, I'm done. Like my whole house had whole right. changed. And it was like that brick you were talking about the shoulders. Like I lifted off of yeah. mine and then it lifted off the whole house. And everyone's behavior wow. shifted. And I was like, oh my God, like I've been doing this to them <laughs> this whole time. Yeah. You know, like, cause I was gripping so hard in the sphere of like, I can't lose right. this because we're going to go to Because hell. you were trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You were trying to do everything in your power to do the things that you were told that were going to give your family the most protection. Uh -huh. Yep. Of course you yep. were. Because you were told that not doing those things meant terrible things for you and your yep. family. And then when you can finally let that go, you're like, actually. Yes. And that's exactly. <laughs> the best thing I can do for my family is to listen to my family and see what they need from yes. me. Yes. 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 <laughs> Well, and I love, I love the, what you just said about the, um, like seeing the difference, right? I'll be like, wait a second. Like I thought this was going to happen, but this other thing right. happened, which I think is the advice I would give to people, which is so, I realize that this advice requires you to jump off a cliff a little bit. Um, but this, this way provides a parachute at least like we were all so scared of like what it would mean if we made a different decision, right? Yeah. Because we've been told you're going to be unhappy, miserable, like right. you will have like meaningless, like life. You're, you'll lose your children, like all of these things. But then COVID let so many people like step out to just like see what it felt like. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, but I'm not unhappy. And I yeah. feel great. And this I, and this weight is gone yeah. and I'm excited to do things yeah. again. And, and my relationship yeah. with my children is better and not worse. And so I'm like, for people who aren't sure, who are just so scared, I'm like, what if you just set it down for a second? Like you can just like leave it in the room, right? Just right. like in the corner nicely and you can pick it up at any time you want, but just like, how do I feel? And how does my relationship right. with like, if your relationship with God is super important, how does it still feel in this space? And like, how's my relationship with like it, that experimentation allows you to get that fear out of the way and be like, oh my God, I feel great. Yeah. And then yes. you can actually okay, decide can to go like, put it away. Yes, do go. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give you the weirdest farm story. So, but I swear it relates. So we're trying to catch this asshole alpaca. Right? And alpaca <laughs> All good stories should start Just with an asshole alpaca. Okay. <laughs> they should all start with an asshole alpaca. But the thing is, so here's the thing. When you're trying to catch them and they don't want to be caught, you just have to corner them and you can't give them time to think. You have to keep them so busy. So we're trying to catch this, catch this asshole alpaca because he's being moved somewhere else. And it was basically like, we got to get four people in here and we need to come at him from four different directions and we need to not give him a chance to think because then he will find an out. And so you're holding your arms wide and you're moving at him really fast. And if you don't move at him fast enough, he will find an out and he gets out. But if you move at him fast enough and you keep him busy, you get him in a corner, you can grab him and you've got him. And I think so much of that, when I look at the millions of things that you're supposed to be doing as a good and faithful member of a, of a, of a religion that requires a lot of its members, I feel like I'm like, we're alpacas, man. I'm like, so we're given good. so many things to do that you don't get a chance to step back 
and look at the big picture and go, is this for me? Is this for me? So good. Right? So good. Because it's so busy. Yes. And that's exactly like, it's all control mechanisms. All of it. Like yeah, the, and so many of yes, them. Yes, and they're just layered upon layered upon layered upon layered. Oh my gosh. Which is why it's so questioned, which is why it's so important to ask why, right? Right. Because you're like, why? Oh, because right. it was this control system. And oh, because I didn't have five seconds to sit down and be like, why am I so miserable? Right. You know, like, right. you're so right. I because love Because you need analogy. to be praying. You need to be journaling. You need to be doing genealogy. You need to be doing meal planning. You need to be doing budgeting. You need to be teaching your kids about all the million things and working on their lessons for the next week and doing your reading for the next week lessons and planning whatever family friendly activities you have going on for your people and everything. There are so many things. Like if you did everything that we've been asked to do as women in the Mormon church, you, you would, it would be your full-time job. There would not be room for hardly anything else. A hundred percent. So I think about that a lot. I hundred percent. I love, seriously, I love that. I'm like, I can't talk. I'm getting so excited. My brain's going so many different ways. Like words are gone. Um, (laughs) But for real, I love the apocalypse. Damn it. Twice in a row. Alpaca story. Um, because it is, it's, it's hard. so true. It is hard. It's, it's perfect. It is so true. And we don't have time to think And COVID gave people time to think and experience, mm-hmm. but you can yep. take that time. And then they walked away. Whenever you want. Anytime you want. Anytime you want. You can always take that time. Yes. And here's yeah. the thing. Here's what I learned for people who are scared about losing community and people like being weird about you. When people thought, this is so bad. When people thought. I was just struggling with my testimony, which I was. They were so mm-hmm. kind and so loving and so understanding, right? Like it was like, yeah. oh, we get it. We love you. We'll like, help you. Right. We'll hug you. It yeah. wasn't until I was like, I'm done that it was an immediate shift. And then everyone like vanished and nobody stops by my house or sa- says hi. It might be contagious. Exactly. But the point is, is that yeah. if you set it down for a minute and you're just like, oh, we're just having a hard time, like you are not going to lose your community while you step back and figure it out. If They will be there for yeah. you while you take that time to realize that there's nothing to yeah. be afraid of. And like your friend get, advised you, like you're going to be okay. You will get through this mm-hmm. and then you can deal with the natural consequences that come. But like taking that breathing right. moment is not as costly as you think it's going to be. It's not as costly as you think. And and the thing that's, it's such a hard thing to know, but the reality is that some people will stick with you and some people won't yep. if you leave. You will have some friends that will stick with you and you will have some friends yep. that won't stick with you. And that was a hard lesson I think we all learned at the beginning of the pandemic is we had some relationships. Like I really reevaluated all of my friendships. There were some people that I couldn't wait to connect with. And there were other people that I just sort of let go of because I realized like outside of, you know, when I have very little emotional energy to give, that's not a place I want to use it anymore. Yes. I mean, it's okay. Change is okay. It is okay. Change is okay. And friendships change. And as we grow and change, the friendships that once weren't very close are suddenly really close. And other friendships that were really close, we were our interests are different enough now. And like, that's okay. okay. You know, it doesn't have to be every friendship doesn't have to be a forever friendship. Like you're going to be okay, but it is hard to know. It's hard to know that you're going to lose a portion of community and you are going to lose some friendships. Even if those friendships clearly weren't worth keeping, if they're not 
willing, if they're not friends with you outside of your religion, okay. whatever it may, whatever your religion may be, that's still a hard thing to deal with. But again, like you'll be okay because you're going to find other people and they'll be the people that you need right now. Right. And when those people come into your life, at least this has been my experience, the, the depth of friendship that I have now with people is deeper and wider because it's aligned with who I truly am, not with who I was trying yeah. to be. Yes. hundred percent. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Ah, oh, Jolene, this has been amazing. I have loved every minute of so this. So fun. Thank you so. I adore you. <laughs> I adore you too. What a coincidence. I do. <laughs> well, we will have to like actually like, this keep great. in touch and stuff and talk about. We do need to keep in touch outside. Of this. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Oh, I love yeah. it. Seriously. I'm so grateful for Amber for introducing us. And I'm so grateful that Me we too. got to do this because you had amazing things to say. And I'm super excited for people to listen to this. So thank you, oh, thank you. so, so much for coming on. You were wonderful. Thank you for having me. Like really, truly, this has been really fun for me to sift through some of this and process some of this in a way that I can vocalize it. And then I feel like, okay, now I can set that aside and I can move on to other things. And oh, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. There once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry.